2: Hello and welcome to From the Rookery End, a Watford podcast uh, about life following this lovely football club brought to you by The Athletic. Uh, it's midweek. Uh, Watford uh, played Manchester United on the weekend and we've got Huddersfield uh, on the weekend. And, and I'm joined by Mike. Come on, you on? I'm ready. Come on. Wow. OK, let's go. Uh, and The Athletic's Watford correspondent, Adam Leventhal.
1: <laughs> I can't quite match that, but I am. I'm genuinely excited to just get back stuck into the... Uh, into the the real bread and butter stuff. Forget the cup. Who needs it?
2: Yeah, who needs it? Oh... I need something. Anyway, let's talk about what we need and how we're going to do this. Adam, you know, it is that time of year. It is January. The transfer window is open. Um, you, you put out a, a, a piece on The Athletic asking people for their questions of a mailbag. And let's, let's go through a few of those. Those, those questions are on the, on the lips and on the minds of all the Watford fans out there. Mm. The, the first one is Ishmael Azar. Patrick B, he asked you, what's the situation with Ishmael Azar? Mike, you know, you mentioned him. On, on Saturday and we, we put out a little bit of a, a clip on a, on the social medias about you and you were worried about him. You, know, you were worried about his performance, but is it, are you worried about more than just his performances at the moment?
3: Well, I think at the moment, this, this transfer window more than any, us as football supporters, need to be slightly pragmatic, don't we? Realising that the football is being played against the backdrop of very, very uncertain times uh, and Watford's, you know, in the little Watford bubble, things are very uncertain as well. Are we going to get back to the Premier League? Are we not? And I think with that in mind, there is a massive question over Ismail Assad, regardless of, of his performances on the pitch, because obviously there is a lot of capital tied up in him. Um, he was a, a record signing by, by quite some some margin. Um, and I saw quoted in one of the newspapers at the weekend that it was, I think it was West Ham coming in with an offer of thirty million quid, which I think, you know, I don't know the only workings of the deal. It sounds like roundabout what we've probably paid for him. Now, if your Gino sat in your office um You have got, I think, you've got a decision to make. If Watford don't go up, are Watford going to get 30 million for Ishmael Assar in the summer? Um, But if we are to go up, do we need Ishmael Assar to do it? So it's a. It's a stick or twist, isn't it? And its I just think as, as supporters, I think it's important to, to try and think of as many of those different moving parts as possible. I tweeted about it and, and a couple were like, look, if we sell him, that's us waving the white flag in terms of promotion. And you could argue that, but also it's like, well, do we have a um, a responsibility as supporters to recognise that some, it's a sizable chunk of the books that need balancing tied up in Ishmael Asar, isn't it? So I just wonder whether they're sort of, you know they've got a slightly furrowed brows about the financial side of uh, of that one at the moment so adam
2: what 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 are the chances
1: of, and the likelihood of him him going There is a chance that he will go and and I wrote when I sort of previewed the January transfer window at the end of December that there was a sort of a, a quiet confidence within the within the club that he would he would stay, but you know we know. From from the last transfer window, when there was negotiations with Manchester United and with Liverpool and with Crystal Palace, that you know negotiations happen and they are likely to, at the very least, reach the sort of discussion stage. Not necessarily with those clubs, but with one, two, three clubs. I don't know. However, many are interested in in signing him. People will make inquiries and i think that that's just the nature of the beast when you have a player that is considered to be you know an asset and someone that bigger clubs want to come and get they will they will ask questions especially when you're a football club that everyone will know you know yeah as mike said they need to balance their books they you know they've been relegated they've had their central payments chopped in half i mean they get 55% of of what normally would be getting in a premier league season so that's already a you know a big chunk taken away You've lost all your match day revenue. You've lost a lot of your commercial revenue because you haven't got people passing through the ground all the time and things like that. So the club would like to get some money in the, in the coffers. I don't think anyone's thinking that that's not the case. But at the same time, they've got their value for him and they want probably around fifty million pounds. However, unrealistic that sounds uh, at the moment, considering you know he scored what four goals and, and picked up two assists in eighteen appearances. Is it really unrealistic?
2: I mean, it feels like it to me, especially, I suppose, maybe I'm thinking about Decore and what we thought he was worth and what he finally went for. Ishmailer doesn't seem as developed as Decore. So, are we going to get as much from him? Or, or actually, the worry is again, as Mike sort of says, are we going to see him underperform because he is still fairly raw and we're just never going to see that 50 million from him?
1: The fact that we're in difficult financial climes at the moment makes a big makes a big difference. You know, the buying clubs aren't gonna risk as much. The selling clubs maybe might be more inclined to accept something that they wouldn't ordinarily accept. So we've sort of stepped into a different zone now. So we're not necessarily a hundred percent sure, you know, whether it is ever likely that they're gonna get fifty million pounds within the next sort of twelve months, let's say. But I think that if you look at the sort of the benchmark figures that were being talked about in the summer, um I think Watford would be wanting to be in the realms of sort of 35, 40 million. And that may well be, you know, the total value of the transfer, but they will want a significant down payment initially it was never officially confirmed exactly how much they paid to Rennes in France they were saying it was 20 million pounds over here it was being talked about as 40 million pounds and I think Mike you're right it was probably somewhere in between but with a lot of add-ons attached so now they want to at the very least break even but then you look at it and you go well look if we're just breaking even on this what's the point we may as well keep him, and if we're going to see an upturn in his performances under a new head coach who is more, not necessarily attacking-minded, but just is more of a motivator, is maybe bringing a bit more feel-good to it, and maybe just sort of trying to g him up a little bit, and you know, giving him an opportunity to go on, yeah, go on, go, 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 you know, like we when when Nigel Pearson came in, if you remember, you know, he got everyone together and said, look, give him the ball, let him go, he's a weapon. And hopefully over the course of the next month, if obviously he remains, then we will see him getting back to the the player that we, we know he can be. Lots of ifs and buts in terms of his future, but also how he's going to perform. And we want to see him performing better.
3: I I saw quite a few people say, Oh, it looks like he doesn't want to be there. He definitely doesn't want to be there. And I think that's unfair. I just don't think he is necessarily that, that sort of effusive in his in his body language, is he? I think that's just his the way he is. So I wouldn't I wouldn't personally read into too much into that. Ad, I just wanted to ask you just what your sense was in terms of other clubs looking in at Watford and their sort of negotiating. Is it would you would you assume that it's well known in, in football circles that A Watford want a really, really big fee for, for this guy? And what the sort of sense is of how people see Gino as a, a negotiator. You know, Daniel Levy, for example, at Spurs has got a very whether how true it is, a reputation of of rigging every possible pound out of every single deal. How do people view Gino or, or Watford as, as, as how hard they are to negotiate with in terms of, well, we're not going to come up with 35 million for him, so we're not even
1: going to enter into negotiations? If you look at the example of Crystal Palace who came in on deadline day, I think the bid that they put in eventually was around about sort of 20, 25 million pounds. And that was just sort of laughed out of the building straight away. I think that gives you a taste of how resolute Watford will be in in ensuring this doesn't turn out to be a bad deal for them. They will want to make some money. But in general terms about how people view Gino Pozzo in terms of the negotiations, I think that they know that he is... You know he's a he's a hard businessman, and that look. There's not. I don't think there's many <laughs> there's many football clubs where people go. Oh, you know what that owner? Oh, he's a rollover. He'll take anything. You know. You know all these owners. They're running football clubs, and you know however much the image of football is that you know it's a, it's a wash with money. It only really is at the top, and even the top clubs. You mentioned Daniel Levy there, Tottenham. You know they've got huge overheads with a new stadium, and you know it has to be run you know precisely down to the margins due to financial fair play rules and all that sort of stuff and then if you drop into the EFL you've got all of those financial considerations to 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 make sure that you're on point to stay within the rules as well all these all these owners will be wanting the best deal obviously for, for their own clubs but one other thing that i've noticed and has been mentioned you know by other people that i've i've spoken to you know over the years about dealing with Gino Pozzo is that he's also very creative as well. I know, you know, some fans might listen to this and go, oh, well, he's not been creative enough to get the right striker in and, you know, all this sort of stuff. Well, I think it's in terms of the deals that are done sometimes and the way that they are done, some of the contracts that are given and some of the ways that things are structured and sort of flinging players from Udinese over to Watford and then maybe loaning them out to Spain and all this sort of stuff. It's a very, very complex thing. And I think that he will want to ensure that the team that Watford have from, you know, February the 2nd onwards, it closes on February the 1st, will be good enough to get Watford back up into the, into the Premier League. And he's not someone that will just sit there on his hands and, you know, think, oh, well, we'll just sort of dribble on then, shall we? Yeah, we'll just sort of get on with it. <laughs> yeah. You know, he will want to try and do something to make the side better. He's also, he's changed the head coach, so he's already made one step. If he thinks that there will be a way of, you know, maybe getting a better blend in midfield or bringing in, a, you know, another striker or, you know, a right back or a left back or someone to play on the flanks. Or if we lose someone, making sure that they're replaced, he will do that. But you know, it's a difficult and, you know, one of the other questions that was asked in, the, in this mailbag, I go into all the finances. It's bloody difficult to do it at the moment because, you know, you need it's, it's like a packed club nightclub, wouldn't it be wonderful to be going into a packed nightclub nowadays? You know, it's one in, one out. You can't just throw loads of players into the mix and, and gamble on giving out big contracts. You just can't do it. And that's not going to happen. So they have to be creative in the remaining days of this of this transfer window to ensure that Watford are in, in as good a position as they can be. So, I, you know, he will be thinking about it. I know that that, you know, relegation hit him really, really hard. So he will be wanting to get back up. And get back up soon. And, you know, he he, he wants the same as the fans. Comments on social media, you think, oh, they don't know what they're doing or they don't know they're doing. It's like, well, they obviously don't want to be in the championship. They want to get the team back up into the Premier League. But they're just trying to, they're trying, they're trying, but it's just not, it's not, well, it's not, we don't know how it's going to end up this season, do we? So let's, let's, let's give them a bit more time and then maybe judge them at the end of the season. Well, one
2: player they have brought in this transfer window uh, is Philip Zinchenogle. You know he. We talked about him. Uh, uh, Jason was uh, was singing his praise uh, after the game on Saturday, and you wrote a piece on him, Adam, uh, about that performance. But you, you also did a bit of a deep dive into his history. What what is it do you think that is going to make him a, a success and be part of this this hopeful push for promotion for Watford? From what you we found out speaking to well,
1: speaking to his uh, his old roommate. Yeah, I spoke to um to Kasper Juncker, who's a really nice bloke actually. He he comes across really, really, really well. And I get the sense that, that Philip Zinkenagel is is a very similar character, so I think he'll he'll slot into the dressing room well and he's also seemingly got pretty high standards too. He will bring not only sort of being a good bloke into the dressing room, but hopefully um he will be demanding more from from others and that's what you want when you bring in a, a new player you want him to be a catalyst for for better things he's very dashing as well isn't he very handsome oh he's dash he's dashing but you know what I saw I saw something on um I think it was I think it was Daniel Backman on his Instagram he posted a picture of his uh of Zinkernagel's jacket that he was wearing the other day and it was oh goodness me it had like it's got this massive clockwork orange Oh, well, um, I saw the one. Yeah, jacket? Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. Incredible, incredible jacket. So, anyway, sartorial S- elegance, cultural references,
3: good looking, <laughs> and imp- an immediate impact in the midfield on the uh, the theatre of
1: dreams. I mean, crikey! What are the odds on Watford's promotion? I'm going in. I'm I'm excited about him coming in because the most important thing is he's coming in with confidence and he's coming in with you know a body of work from last season which is exceptional 19 goals 18 assists in, in 28 appearances um, and yes it's a it's a Norwegian um, league which isn't you know according to post-Brexit rules and the FA and the government considered to not be that good but they did they did all right in, in trying to qualify for the group stages of the europa league they ran ac milan pretty close so you know that they they're a good side they're a good bunch i look forward to seeing how his time is going to develop at the club because i think that he will he will bring options he brings creativity and he brings that sort of air of of authority to what he's doing, and I think that that's what Watford have been missing in in the creative areas. It's all been a bit sort of frantic at times when we've been hoping someone will come in from from midfield. The likes of I don't know, even even you know Tom Cleverley or Domingos Kina, or there's not really been anyone that you thought when they're on the ball in the attacking third. Yeah, they might take a couple of extra touches, but you know what? He knows exactly what he wants to do, and I think that Zinchenko will will hopefully bring that bring that to the side and he's also one thing i've found out is he's a bit of a perfectionist as well so he's into sort of analyzing his performances and things like that and and i hope you know he will he will maybe sort of bleed that into to the other players to hopefully sort of raise the standards and make sure that everyone's sort of going all right well that didn't go to plan well let's change it for next time and hopefully there'll be incremental improvements as we head towards may rather than a sort of a usual slip down the slide as we, we have done in sort of recent seasons well he's a professional
2: he just comes across as a very professional looking man a professional looking uh, <laughs> professional attitude and I, I like that the, 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 so there are some players who many Watt fans don't feel have got the quite the right sort of professional uh, attitude to, to their work and, and they, they happen to be at the at the, at the the front uh, in, in the striking area because they're not particularly doing that very well and you had lots of questions about various different strikers coming in from different EFL clubs be it in the championship or in league one adam how is this striker problem going to be solved is it is it going to be signings either permanent or on loan is it just about changing a formation that that um we're going to see from the from the new head coach or is it just about getting a cattle prod to andre gray what is it how can we solve this problem adam
1: well i think first and foremost against huddersfield against barnsley against stoke and against Millwall, which will be the games that we've got in between now and the the transfer window closing, you've got an opportunity for the six strikers. I've included Ismail Assar in that group in terms of the the players that have actually played in striking positions so far this season. They need, and they will know this, to raise their game because they're underperforming um, and that goes for for everyone in there. Maybe, Maybe the only exception is probably João Pedro, who I think is still sort of being seen as 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 the answer, but I think he's still sort of trying to develop. And I was really encouraged by his performance at, at Old Trafford. You know, coming coming back in after a, a period out, I thought he slipped into it really, really well. And I liked the link-up play with him and Zinkernagel in, in particular. They seem to be on the same wavelength. So I think that João Pedro is still sort of a considered to be a prospect for future. And, you know, I mean, he is the top scorer. But then you look at the other established players in there, Troy Deeney, Andre Gray, Stepa Pericza who obviously you know we're hoping will come back um from his injury pretty soon. Then you've got Glenn Murray which seemingly looks as if he's out the door, but his deal to uh, Queens Park Rangers which had been mooted has has fallen flat because they they've got Charlie Austin now. So who knows, he might come back into the reckoning. I'm I'm not sure about that, but we will see. And then I've you know got Ismail Sar in there as well, but we're expecting him to be out on the, on the right-hand side. What do they need to do? I mean it sounds it sounds really sort of quite simple doesn't it that they just need one to to go in and and to to get on a run but they haven't really got any evidence at the moment that that things are going to change but it's been a bit stop start of late and I'm hoping with the new head coach with some with some games where maybe we're going to be thinking look we need to be taking the game to the opponents rather than you know Swansea and Norwich, which were two difficult games and two sides coming into it with confidence, you know the onus is now going to be on on us to push on, and you know we 've had an extended period now where where Chisco Munoz can you know work with his side put over his his ideas. And that might involve, you know, a change in formation. It might not be a straight 4-4-2. Four, four, it might be a 4-2-3-1. Now you've got, you know, Will Hughes back in the midfield, you might have greater balance. You've got Zinkernagel who can maybe play any position across that sort of three. And then you've got a, a central striker up top. You know, a lot of people have been calling for an, a new striker to come in, but as I touch upon in the in the in the piece, and we've talked about you know earlier on, you can't just you can't just bring in loads of players. You can't you can't do it. Someone has to leave first. There has to be you know a bit of space on the wage bill to 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 bring in this striker. Players all over the shop from Europe, from South America. It's tough, by the way, if, to get a player in f- from Europe now due to the Brexit rules. That's a real nightmare. If they're not coming from a big league, it's a very very difficult thing to do and Watford aren't in the position to spend a whole load of money on on someone and why would they necessarily want to come and play for Watford in the in the championship so there are all these things to consider but what it will come down to is that the players that are getting picked they have to somewhere from somewhere get on a run of form and i know that sounds very 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 simplistic but it has to be down to them and that will be part of the thinking of the club as well. We've got Andre Gray in, we've got Troy Deeney in, we're paying them a hell of a lot of money. If over the course of the next six months they can't score enough goals to keep us in, cont- in contention, which I'm sure they can, then what is the point? That's that's basically the long and short of it. What's the point? What's the point? Because we've dropped down from the Premier League and you consider yourself to be... to pre- to be Premier League players, right? Well, if we drop down in the Championship and you can't do it, then then there is no point. There has to either be a completely a complete change of approach, where you have the likes of Troy Deeney and, and Andre Gray as your Plan B, and you switch and have João Pedro up top by himself, and we go for a sort of a younger, newer, fresher approach with Semmer and Zinchenko and Saar, and you know João Pedro up top by himself, or we try and utilise the experience that we do have in the side and just hope that something will turn. And there was something that there's something that Troy said when he was sat on the, the um advertising hoardings when I was talking to him when he'd scored against Birmingham and he said, look, it's got to turn. It has to turn. And I know Ivich was still there and maybe the view of him then was, right, well something's got to turn in terms of we've either got to start playing better football or perhaps you know we might have a, a new head coach soon or whatever it is. But from my my view on on what he thinks I think he's got the belief that something can turn in this side and a couple of good performances with this new approach rather than the Ivic approach that Watford can get on a run. They will be hoping it and obviously the fans will be hoping it. They just have to go and do it. I know it sounds, it sounds simple, but they just have to do it. Here's a question for you both just very
3: quickly. If we were going to sign a striker, how excited would you be about signing someone who's made 15 league appearances and scored four goals? I would be excited because maybe we'll score and win some games but it wouldn't be enough to get us ahead. Exactly. It's not going to sort of everyone's not going to take to social media and say right our goal scoring problems are solved. And the reason I mentioned that statistic is that's uh, Luis Suarez's goal scoring record in La Liga this year for for Granada, someone who we all bemoaned leaving at the same time as Estupinian. And the and the reason I mentioned that is Adam's right in everything he says, and you allude to it in your, your, your reply in the piece as well, is that not only is January a hard time to do business, not only is this January an even harder time than normal to do business, but getting a striker in, a proven striker that is going to hit the ground running and score goals in January against this financial backdrop is, is almost impossible. It, mm. It's just so difficult to do. And, you know, we were all lamenting Suarez departing Watford, and, yeah, OK, he's playing in a league above, and he's got, he's, he has got a couple in Europa League as well. So, so what, six in 20 appearances this year? That's not exactly, if that was coming our way, we wouldn't be sort of in the pond, would we? So just to just to sort of underline everything Adam said, it is so, so difficult. And it's, yeah, I've, we've said it before. I said it earlier on. It's about being pragmatic at the moment. And with... It, the the cab rank is full at the moment when it comes to strikers isn't it there's just no room got to get them out of the door or if they're going to bring any in even if they can get them out of the door then they're not firing so it's going to be difficult to, to get a realistic deal done so then they've got to do that and bring someone in who can, who can replace them so very, very difficult, the hardest position to fill ever at the best of times. And, and this is the exact opposite of the best of times, isn't it? You know how to bring the room down, don't you, Michael? Hey! <laughs>
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobeultra.com slash courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan
1: Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Premiere's May second on FX. Stream on Hulu.
2: A Watford FC podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is from the Rookery End. Adam, another piece you've written on The Athletic uh, recently. Of course, if you, if, by the way, if you, if you don't subscribe to Athletic you can do it there's always an offer if you go to theathletic.com forward slash rookeryend uh, there you will get the finest offer that is available to you at the moment and once you've done that you can get involved and read some of Adam's pieces and the piece you put out last week Adam was an interview you did with a former Watford player Jans Lohman. but he's a very very
1: uh, historical Watford player he is I'd wanted to to catch up with him for for quite some time, and then I was looking as a sort of a hook to work out. Well, why is now the right time to to speak to him? And when I was looking at it, I thought, oh, hang on a minute. So right, yeah, he signed for Watford in in 1981, and obviously I knew that he was the the first signing that Watford had ever brought in from from overseas. But I just thought, right, well, it's it's 40 years. So I waited, and we you know we released it at the beginning of this month to sort of mark 40 years on um, and I really enjoyed speaking to him he's, he's such a nice guy he's come over I'm sure a lot of Watford fans that, that are listening will have sort of had their own moments from from seeing him because he's not over all the time but he has been over relatively frequently and I know that he's linked into the sort of the former players associations and things like that so it's not like someone that's just completely disappeared and and never come back and another sort of hook to it was you look now at, at Watford's lineup or or Watford's lineup ever since that the, the potzos have come in, and you know you can't move for foreign signings. Do
2: you want a statistic, madam? Do you want a statistic? <laughs> Go on then, hit me. What percentage of the Watford squad are the twenty-seven players that are in the Watford squad on the club website? What percentage do you think are from overseas?
1: What now? Yeah, yeah, it's gone down though, hasn't it? What do the you reckon? Percentage has gone down. Well, I've got a program within sort of tantalisingly close to me. No, I no, can't no see. cheating, I no can't cheating. See. So <laughs> I would say now the percentage is 40%. Mike? There's no points available in this, by the way. 39%. <laughs> no, it's 52.
2: 14 out of the 27, right. I think, are, could be deemed, at least I included Barkman in that because uh, he, is, uh, he was from Austria, uh, even though he came to the system. Anyway, that's a little aside. Um, yeah, what, what do we find out about, about Jan and his time at, at Watford?
1: I think there'll be a lot of, pla- a lot of um, people listening that will remember the days when he was playing unfortunately i don't um i was born in 79 and he joined in 81 but i enjoyed sort of going back and and looking at his uh, old footage and just sort of comparing and contrasting really what it was like then coming over as a, as a foreign signing because it, it all changed and this has sort of got this you know a bit of a link to to brexit that the in 1978 um, the European Community ruled at that point that it was it was wrong for football associations of its member states to deny access to players based on their nationality. So it meant that more foreign players could come in, and that was sort of uh, the 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 charge was led initially with uh, Ricky Villa coming in and um, Ozzy Ardiles with Spurs, and then there was this whole sort of load of of, of foreign players that came in, um, and Watford sort of waited for three years before they first signed um uh, an overseas player in Jan Lohman, and you know comparing it to the private jets and the sort of concierge service that you would now have and you know making sure that everyone is looked after and all this sort of stuff you know back then when he came over, he drove over with his dad, got a ferry you know had to find his way to the the training ground stayed at the y m c a whilst he was doing his um his trial, which not to put the YMCA down, but I mean, I I sort of remember walking past the the YMCA. It's the, it was the one in Old Charter Place, I think. Is that that's where still the YMCA there, yeah. is, Isn't it? It's, yeah. st- it's still there, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe it was it was a more impressive place to stay in those days. But you know, it's, it's still quite sort of regulation accommodation. You know, he wasn't treated to you know a, a grand welcome, but he had to do a trial. He couldn't play initially because there was some disagreement going on with his his former club Lokeren in Belgium because he's Dutch, but he was playing it in Belgium at the time. So, you know, Watford had to sort of take a punt on him, really. They were really impressed with with how he performed in, in training. He flew into challenges. He was a dynamic midfielder, ball winning, you know, and, and was pretty mobile as well and could move around the pitch and and get all over the shop. And then they signed him. And then it was just sort of interesting from my point of view to to find out what it was like to be in that dressing room, not only just be there and play under Graham Taylor and play in a really successful side that obviously you know finished runners up in his first season he went you know got promoted up into the top division then finished runners up in the in the first division played in Europe as well to play under Graham Taylor as well so it was it was just it was it was just a a really nice interview to speak to someone that is a a good guy and is still really into football and really focused on on how Watford are doing as well
2: here's uh, a bit of the interview that Adam did with with Jan
4: first few months it was really hard for me this training I enjoyed it because the lads were so nice and they were talking to me and cheering me up and everything so so that's that's a good thing about it I mean I really enjoyed it in that way yeah of course you take the mickey with you i mean but that's normal i mean if you're a foreign player i mean you've got to prove yourself but but that's in any team i mean you've got to prove yourself and then then but they were all very nice, and but on the pitch, on, in training, it, it was really hard. I mean, they kick you as well in training, and it was really hard because every training in a, on the ground was nearly like in a league game. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> you got to take care of yourself. But I mean, uh, I, I played three years of professional football already, so that, that 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 wasn't the problem really to just change. I mean, only the pace was uh, it was quicker, and that's, uh, that that take, uh, that took me a few months to adapt really. Just a quicker uh, player, uh, a higher speed. I first stayed in the YMCA for a while, for a few weeks. Then I went to uh, Nigel Callahan's mum and dad and I stayed with him for, for a while. Yeah, it was good. It was a nice family. And then Nigel, of course, uh, was a good player as well. And we travelled together and uh, he told me things and everywhere, everything, so uh, we got on well. Nice lad. And when Graham starts talking, Hey, sometimes he talks for a long while. So I just went, because I didn't, it went really quick and I didn't understand it. So I looked at something else and he said, Oh, oh wake up! And, the, oh, oh, and I was like, <laughs> so I couldn't understand it. I said, I didn't know what you were talking about. So, I mean, Nigel, <laughs> N- Nigel uh, was the one who got, got a lot of bulking most of the time because uh, he, or yeah, Graham was, I mean, Graham liked him in a way, but I mean, Nigel could uh, hey, wander off a little bit sometimes as well. and. Uh, when he had an injury and things like that, Graham, you hit him, just hit him. I said, that's no injury. You've got to play on. You have to be tough because Graham doesn't like it. People are a bit, oh, I'm scared and I'm this and that. Graham much people who get stuck in. And so uh, if you didn't do that, oh, you had a real problem. But I remember one thing when uh, we, were, we weren't we were playing well. At, uh, at, I think it was Birmingham one day. I came in as the first one and I was going to go for a drink and he, he slapped my hand. You don't drink. Nobody drinks because you don't deserve to drink. This is diabolical. Oh, you went absolutely bananas. But I mean, he was right. I mean, if, if you don't work, I mean, you don't deserve anything. You don't get things for nothing. Not then and not now. I mean, you've got to work really hard. And we had a team under Graham He was really, really fit. Because I remember the last 10 minutes of the game, that's when it's most dangerous. People get tired. People stop doing things. We were really fit. We could play easily 90 minutes. We received a lot of points in the last 10 minutes of the game because we were so fit.
2: Of course, Jan was part of the team who won promotion to the First Division back in the early 80s. And, uh, well, the celebrations have stayed in Jan's mind for quite a while.
4: Yeah, that's the best night I ever had against Wrexham when we got the promotion. Yeah, it was unbelievable. Yeah. All the city was crowded with people. Uh, I still, I I think I still uh, I saved somebody's life as well that night, I think, because we were at uh, Paradise Lost. It was Bailey's okay, club, and we were uh, parching there. And in, in front of there, there was a pond. And I saw a bloke sitting there. It was about three o'clock in the morning, and he was really drunk. And he, he just fell in the water, and he didn't come up. So I went running to there, and I had to pull him out, shake him, and then he got up again, and... Uh, I think I saved his life because nobody saw it. Everybody was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember always that. And after that, we went to the to the Ledbrook now now uh, Hilton Hotel, and uh, we were having breakfast and uh, steak and uh, French fries and everything at four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it was amazing. It was brilliant. Yeah. Listen, I've I've had a, 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 such a good time over there, and still have a lot of friends in in Watford as well. So I see them many times, and. Uh, Listen, later on now, I would have stayed. I would have liked to stay in England because I miss my friends and I miss the club.
3: Some lovely, lovely detail in the in the interview, Adam, and uh, I do urge people to read it because, as you say, it comes across as a really nice guy, really interested in Watford, really interested in football, happy to share what was a just a really pleasing, nice story, wasn't it? A nice, a good Watford mm. career, something that panned out well. But John, right at the start, you asked um, Adam what we learned about Jan Lohman. What I liked was what we learned about Wilf <laughs> was He's that, a he, yeah. yeah, he really loved satay. And he was introduced to it introduced to it at a party by Jan Loman, and uh, he loved it so much. He said, "Oh, if you don't finish any, what you don't finish tonight, I'll come back and get tomorrow." And sort of Jan Loman <laughs> laughed and said, "Yeah, yeah, okay." And not just the next day. The next morning, eight o'clock, he was there to polish off the rest of the satire. Absolutely love love stuff like that, and of course his uh, his rescue mission in the pond as well. So just a, a lovely story, just peppered with with lovely little anecdotes that sort of all link into that that incredible time of uh, as Watford's trajectory was just uh, soaring upwards, wasn't it? And
1: it's worth, I think, Mike, you know, putting a little shout out to to all the listeners of from the Rookery End because. You know, obviously, Jan has mentioned there about, you know, saving someone on the night of the, the Wrexham win. I wonder if he's a listener. He or she is a listener. I think, I think it's pretty much going to be a, a bloke by the sounds of what, you know, Jan had said. <laughs> um So it might be a listener or it might be someone that they knew, or, you know, a family member that sort of woke up with a little bit more of a hangover or, or woke up with, you know, Completely Pond wet weed. clothes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> did, he, did
3: he did he wake up the next morning saying, "Last night, Jan Loman saved my life." <laughs> oh, very good. What oh. I did, what I did yeah. love the little, the very li- di- the little detail that I did enjoy was like uh, Jan Loman said, um, "Everyone else was drunk, so they didn't notice." I'm like, <laughs> "Oh yeah, yeah, no <laughs> yeah, one saw it." Else. I was I was basically Superman, but uh, no one <laughs> saw it happen. But yeah, did did that? This is the question. Did Jan Lohman rescue you from the.? Po- in fact, let's open it out a little bit more. Has a Watford player ever. ever saved your life. Saved your life. Get in touch. Yeah. <laughs> Part of the Athletic Podcast Network. This is
1: from the Rookery End.
2: So we've got another game of football. Um, This is a midweek podcast where there isn't a game of football to talk about. The games are going to come thick and fast, uh, as this whole season seems to to be. Uh, But the next game, Adam, is at home to Huddersfield. Now, the last time we played Huddersfield, we lost 2-0. That was fine. It was a, a goalkeeping mistake and an own goal. Yeah, that was all, John. Uh, but it was a very important game. It was the last one of uh, of uh, Vladimir Ivic uh, and his reign as, as head coach. It hasn't been that long since um, Cisco took over. You know, do do you feel this is a game, an important game for for the mentality of this squad in the next? Well, for the rest of this season, if this game is great, if this game is is good, it, it shows us we're we're ready for the rest of it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think it's going to be really, um, it's going to be a really exciting game actually. Because I was quite impressed with with what Huddersfield did um, against Watford, uh, as we've spoken about before. I won't go into it again, but I'm ver- I'm very sort of intrigued, impressed, whatever, confused. The whole the, I'm just sort of baffled, um, but in a fun way about you know how they operate in the in the dugout and you know, <laughs> them all their coaches because they've got a whole sort of team of coaches at Huddersfield and 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 Shisko and his team, it is gonna be it's gonna be deafening that the two dugouts going head to head. We don't almost don't need a crowd for, for that game, um, because it is gonna be very loud. But no look, on, the, on a serious point, it is a very, very important game for for Shisko to be able to say, look, I've I've you know worked with the team now for what is it, three weeks, three, four weeks almost, um, since um Ivich left and remember he was sacked on the 20th of December and I did that big piece about the inside story of his his sacking and all that sort of stuff and why Shisco um had come in um and you know now he needs to say right well this is my team my league team my best 11 um he's got Will Hughes back in the in the lineup um you know Troy Deeney's had a had a week off so he should be fresh and and raring to go He's got Zinkargle in there, hopefully he's going to be put into a position that he's gonna really be able to shine in because i'm 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 a little bit confused as to you know where he's gonna put him again. He can play on the left, but you know he's been playing and dominating performances from the right hand side for Birda, glimpsed this last season just gone. So it'd be good to see him play in the position that he is designed for, but they seem to be a little bit sort of inhibited. If, you know, you've got Zinkanago and Saar, who do you play on the right-hand side? Well, you, you probably play Saar and then put Zinconagel someone else because he's he's a bit more adaptable. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what he does there. And is it a 4-4-2? Is it a 4-2-3-1? Who does he play in the centre of uh, of defence now that he's got more players available? Does he stick with with Daniel Backman? You know, after a good performance at Old Trafford, there's a there's a lot to be decided um, for him. But but the long and short of it is, yes, this has to be a marker. The team has to put a marker down. They've lost three out of their last four games. They have to show right. Well, now we, we're off and we're running. You know, because it's they're going to be two difficult games against Huddersfield and Barnsley, two sides that have beaten Watford this season already. Tough trip to Stoke and then home against Millwall. Yes, people will be going, oh, well, you know, these aren't sides that are in the, in the top echelon of the division, but they're going to be tough. You know, no one likes going to Millwall at any point. Stoke's always tough. Barnsley have beaten us and Huddersfield have beaten us, so we've got a point to prove, and we have to we have to go headlong into these games. Pondering
3: what what you mentioned, your your conversation with with Troy Adam saying it's got to change, and hmm. it, he meant it in it, as and it's bound to change because we're better than this. We're better than this. I think it's now at the point where it has to. It's do or die, really, and we we know where we're at. And, and these are the sort of games where we need to turn in the performance, right the wrong of the, the performance at the John Smiths, which was pretty abject, wasn't it? Um, probably necessary for what was to make what happened happen but it's do or die now we haven't left ourselves much much wiggle room if we're going to stay in touch with the with the top two and the really I think um someone asked you Adam in the piece I think what your what your ideal side would be and if you look at it from the back forward it's we're pretty you know Cathcart's back now is he going to get himself Mm. back into defensively we're we look good in goal there's a perhaps a question mark but whether Backman can come in for Foster. I would keep Foster, but if Batman does come in, we know we've got a good keeper there. So defensively, we're solid. Will Hughes back, Tom Cleverley in, in contention, and he. we know what he can do. Uh, it's just about, we need to fo- solve the problem in the final third, and we either will or we won't. And it, that's, that's as simple as it is now. I think we've got players who can perform. And one yeah. player who have we haven't spoken about really recently is Ken Semmer. Who I think had a terrific start to the season and then was out. I think potentially he was one of the one of the players who might have had had COVID. And since coming back from that hasn't perhaps looked, looked quite as good. Understandably so. But there's I think so there's more to come from from him. But what we've been longing from all season is a spark and i think i don't want to put all the all the sort of all our hopes in the zinkernagel shaped basket but you know we were very positive about his performance at at, at manchester united he looks positive he's quick feet quick witted and and adams quite right to say well how do we fit him in and i think well when we've seen Saar look good. It's when mid-game they switch flanks. Saar drifts over to the left and has a go over there. So why can't we be a little bit more fluid in our approach and, you know, start perhaps Zinkenagel on the left and Saar on the right, but switch them. And let, let, a, let a right back worry about Tsar instead of a left back for, for, for 20 minutes. And let us I think we've been bogged down far too much this season and about worrying about how we're going to approach this, the games and how what other teams are going to do for us and how exactly, you know, we're going to play him there because he's good at that. And whereas actually there's just a load of talent there, which I know just letting it off the leash isn't going to work, but let's just go for it and and just see what these players can do let them sort of to a degree work it out themselves when they're out there and and try and work out where the pockets of space are who's having success against that that defender looks like he's struggling a bit on his right so you shift out there I'll come in here and tuck in there whatever let's just be a bit more fluid and a bit more exciting and I wonder under Muñoz whether whether that might be something that we're we're able to do but I do think that with Hughes back Zikana coming in you know the, the the strikers are going to hopefully start running out of excuses and as Troy said they do need to start scoring, and they, are, they either will or they won't.
2: I don't know if you're aware of this. If According to the club's Twitter feed, we're really going to mix things up, and Craig Cathcart, goal machine, is going to be up top. They, they put a, a bit of clip of him on Twitter the other day. He was just banging him in in practice <laughs> and saying, get him in the box. <laughs> and there,
3: there's, me saying, there's me saying our defence is sorted, and, he, and Craig Cathcart He can wander up, he can wander up, yeah. <laughs> what I did like, um, I mean, we probably didn't give him enough credit in the in the podcast after the United game. There was a lovely clip from a, a super strike from Hungbo in, yeah. in training. He just sort of picked it up and absolutely, he thought, well, this didn't look too special for him, his from his backlift But he's just absolutely... Pinged one into the top right hand corner, and I wonder whether he might have played himself into into contention because against United he came on and really, he looked at him. He thought, Crikey, he looks nervous. It, occasions got to him a little bit, but then he grew into the game, and it was a real, real decent performance from him. And seeing that in training, I, I guess at this stage anyone with an eye for goal in training is going to be going to be catching catching the eye. Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see whether he retains his place in the in the squad as well. But you know, it's 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 a bit reductive, but these are the sort of games where we we just have to turn up and we have to we have to perform and and the performances need to be in that final third the midfield and the and the attacking guys need to do some sort of bonding exercises, whether it's whether it's Foster getting them on a Zoom call together, doing a bit of cycling. I don't care what it is, uh, a, a virtual karaoke. They need to get themselves together and work out how they're going to get the ball from midfield to a striker in a situation where you can put it in the back of the net. Go out there and do it. And I'm going to change my name from Mike Parkin to, to Mike Bassett. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: Thank you very much uh, for listening to the podcast. Remember, we're, we're going to be here after every game uh, this season, uh, back after the the game against Huddersfield at home. Uh, And also in that podcast, uh, Mike has done an interview with Marvin Sordell, uh, where we try and get into the mind uh, of a a footballer and how things go and and how they sort of take care of themselves. But that interview is going to be on Saturday's podcast. Uh, Yes, but thank you very much, Michael, for your time this evening. No problem
1: at all. And thank you, Adam. Very welcome gents and let's just not forget you know there's plenty of players in the building that can do the job let's 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 not forget that let's just fingers crossed that they can they can do it
2: you sound like a man who's getting a lot of tweets at the moment adam saying who's coming in who's coming in
1: <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but no look come on there are some players in there that can perform and uh, we're just waiting for it now it's all to come in a season
2: for a waffers the athletic.